0: yay you have microphone we have sound this is a good thing
1: yay I have to mute my phone yes
0: we're on an airplane now
1: we are and we're what is um what is it you're building the airplane while it's in flight right yeah like that that's one of the greatest analogies I've ever heard
0: that's exactly the analogy it's like there's there's that I'm I leave for Orlando for the Mag-Healy uh, launch next week. So you're on your own next week. You can have any guest you want. That would be fun. I have,
1: cool. I have a list of people that um, I had. Well, we'll talk about it, um, okay. about who we can bring on and stuff. Of course, my world is a lot of sports people. But like anything, what the world of FSM has given me is all the other conditions that I never dreamed possible that I would ever treat or ever in my wildest dreams have to even think about.
0: I, I had one yesterday that was mind boggling because the history took an hour and a half. She got COVID in March, March 2nd of 2020.
1: So one of the first cases, or I guess, right?
0: Early cases, and um, was blown off by Kaiser, and then misdiagnosed by Kaiser, and then when COVID hit her lungs, her heart, she had uh, what effectively was a thalamic stroke, then full body pain, then because they didn't know what it was, and didn't figure out that COVID affected the blood vessels in the brain and the spinal cord. Then she got a psychiatric diagnosis, which meant nobody would see her. So this went on for a year and a half and I looked at her pain diagram and her heart. She had cardiac stuff. She had tightness in her chest. She had arm pain, hand pain, leg pain, foot pain. And I'm, the only exam I did. So she finally found a neurologist that was curious, open-minded, not an idiot. Um, so curious, open-minded, skilled, all that good stuff. So he's been helpful. And then she got mast cell activation syndrome. And I said, well, oh, and two months into COVID, she had gastroparesis. And, and it's like the, the Vegas. And then a year later, she's got mast cell, and I went, Well, duh. And she said, What do you mean, duh? And it's like, Well, you had gastroparesis. And she said, Now she's an OT, she's a medical professional, so she understands language. And I said, Well, the vagus nerve was turned off by infection, stress, and trauma, and you had all of the above. And the only physical exam I did on her, because everything about her was so obvious, her pain level was a seven. She had this pain diagram. I said, would you mind if I felt your legs? And she said, no, that's fine. And I went and felt the tone in her quadriceps and her hamstrings. And they were like bricks and her arm. And she couldn't take a deep breath. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this is easy. And she went on and on. I said, would you mind if I just fixed it? And she said, you're what? I said, nothing you have scares me. And if it says, it should be fine. Oh, okay. So in our world, they did have finally imaging that showed that she had some stuff in the hippocampus, which affected her memory and the thalamus. And it's like, okay, she had a thalamic stroke. That's easy. So that was 40 and 89 neck to feed. But the tone, so quiet down the midbrain, that's what you use for thalamic pain. So that was one machine. Second machine was neck to feet 81 and 10. I didn't quite understand why COVID would create spinal cord mediated loss of descending inhibition, but I knew how to fix increased tone. That was easy, 81 and 10. So those two started running and then Neck to abdomen concussion in Vegas. She said, Oh, that makes me nauseous. And I looked at the custom care and it was just past 9494. And it's like, Oh, here, let me fix yeah. that. So I ran the concussion in Vegas that's minus 9494 and that got better. So, and then there's a frequency, the six frequencies for the virus yeah. that were in the flu respiratory protocol. And I went through the first two, nothing, nothing. And I got to 56, malignant flu. And it, she fell asleep. And I said, okay, that's the one. So I ran 56 in the midbrain, in the vagus, in the spinal cord, in the immune system. And that just continued on. And then, oh, and the heart, virus in the heart but there was one machine that ran just on 56 in the capillaries, just the capillaries. That's where that virus COVID works is it, the ACE2 receptor is in the blood vessels that go to everything. That's why the kidneys, the liver, the heart, the lungs, the brain all get, I think thrashed right. is the medical term. I'll get thrashed is because it's the capillaries. So I ran one frequency for the whole hour and a half or two hours for just virus in the capillaries. And every time I added a machine, she got sleepier and quieter. And the tone in her legs was like normal. Her body pain went from a seven to a zero. And her sense of smell, came back. All I ran was the capillaries. Makes right?
1: sense. Yeah. So
0: look at the ethmoid plate. It's so well vascularized and these little nerve endings. So at the end of an hour and a half, her pain was a zero to a one. When I got to eight, when 81 and 10 got to her chest, she could finally take a deep breath so for reasons i don't understand when you increase descending inhibition in the spinal cord it softens from the bottom up in the front gets to up she was tight clear up to her neck and her chin and then starts up the back and when it finally got to her hamstrings and it got to her chest muscles And we could see her chest relax. I said, try taking a deep breath. (gasps) Oh, okay. She said, but there's still this pain in between my shoulder blades. Have you ever had an auto accident? Well, yeah, two or three. Mm -hmm." So I hooked up another machine and just ran inflammation in the disc annulus and told her about Cloward. And the pain in between her shoulder blades went away. So at the end, so it's like, You can say to them, honestly, nothing you have scares me. And then you just treat what's in front of you. As Kevin says, do the next thing, right? How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? Well, you just do the next thing. So as all of this loosened up and all of a sudden she's able to open her jaw, she says, ah, these are sore. And I went, oh yeah, I have a frequency for that. So I programmed a custom care with just 124 and 77 torn and broken in the connective tissue for the pterygoids. And I put one on each side of her jaw and ran that for 15 minutes. And all of a sudden, oh, that doesn't hurt anymore. So between it took from three o'clock until 4.30 to just get the history and let her vent. It's... I said, malpractice? It's like, no, no, nope, can't do that when it's Kaiser. It's You can't sue them. Okay, fine. So let's just fix it then. Okay? Okay. She's just brilliant. So cool. And um, so I treated her from 4.20 until 7, 3 o'clock, 4.30, 4.40. And by 5.40, her pain was two down from a seven, and then treated her until a little bit after seven, 7.15, then had to teach her to walk again. And then her next stop is Dr. Resky because she needs prism glasses and nobody figured that out before. The, she has a vestibular injury secondary to the virus. Not sure why, but it's really clear. I mean, yeah. So that was yesterday.
1: I'm just kind of sitting here in quiet awe right now for a few reasons. So everybody listening, everybody watching, everybody hopefully knows by now that you and I don't discuss the podcast before the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> for, for the good or for the bad, I sort of like spring stuff on you, topics, themes. Um, but how this podcast started was during COVID, you and I were just doing these weekly zoom calls talking about slides telling stories and I selflessly decided to share the with our conversations and we started this podcast so it's it's really interesting when you start talking about my list because you essentially covered two almost three major topics I want to talk about today and I was going into today's podcast going geez I'm so unorganized, but this has such an organic way of like, um, flowing. One of the big complicated, um, things when I was talking about how I never would imagine myself researching and learning about certain conditions because when on earth would I ever care about these conditions is mast cell activation. And in the last year I am seeing at least a 200% increase in people with mast cell activation, either self diagnosing themselves or truly getting a diagnosis of it. Um, I'm not sure if it's from the virus or from the. Yes. Yes, you in the back, your hand Here, up.
0: Here's, here's the thing: I'm mast cell activation is not new. No. Nope. It's. It is the new, big, scary diagnosis. Yep. And what I told this lady with all due respect, she really does have it, but it's secondary. All due respect to the people that think they can fix it with H2 blockers and antihistamines. Right. She does need all those things to keep it under control, but it's not what causes it. It's mast cell activation is the new candida. Back in 1990 to 2005, everybody that had mast cell activation was diagnosed with candida. And then I can't remember what was after candida, but then after that, like in the last five years, mast cell activation, and what was the cell defense, something or other. And when you look at mast cell activation, they look at it as because they can describe it as an immunologic cascade and they can describe it as a cellular thing, they seem to forget that the immune system is regulated by the vagus nerve. So this nice lady, I said, well, hello, once you had gastroparesis, it would be 10 to 18 months before you got mast cell activation. And she went, I beg your pardon? Because she had gastroparesis within two or three months of the time she got COVID. And it's like, well, of course. She went, what? It's Like, once you see the vagus, you can't ever unsee it. Right. Vagus nerve controls the digestive system. Her resting heart rate was 85 after COVID.
1: Right.
0: Her resting heart rate prior to COVID, because she was a runner and an athlete, was 56 after I treated her vagus nerve as concussion in vagus and then virus in the vagus and then increased secretions in the vagus, after I did that for an hour and a half, her oxygen saturation was 99% and a resting heart rate was 56. Wow. And it's like the vagus nerve controls T cells and macrophages. Mast cells are downstream from T-cells and macrophages and people that they they don't think of the vagus because they don't have a way to treat it. They can treat the the histamine. Yay. Because she's on six drugs plus five drugs, plus quercetin three grams of quercetin a day to control the mast cells. And that's like, why don't you just control the immune system? So the mast cells stop being a problem. I said, you stay on all your drugs. We'll get your vagus turned on. See if it stays on. See if your pain level goes away. And then, but mass cell activation syndrome, I, I never want to get into an intellectual fight with the people like Neil Nathan that and the other really smart people that are into mass cell activation as a separate cellular phenomenon that's separate from... Neuroimmune control,
1: right?
0: But that's a fantasy. It's like, hello, they don't think of the vagus because they don't have a way to address it. They have a way to address histamine and mast cells, so they think of that, but they miss the step above it to control the vagus because they don't have a tool for that. You tell somebody to gargle and sing, and it never works. Sorry, it's just a hot button for me.
1: No, and I appreciate it. We, we all have one and I'm, this is, so I wanna take more of like the um, the student in the room and the question and answer because I am treating somebody right now with the history of mast cell, mold, SIBO, um, Ehlers-Danlos. Mm-hmm. And when- You're if, welcome, if, I'm sorry. Yeah. See, this is, this is what I manifest all the time. I'm like, I don't, I don't treat, I think I said that the first time I came home from Portland after hanging out with you, I don't treat sick people. <laughs> so, um, Hi. and like three years ago, this person's history would have freaked me out. And I would have said, there's no way I, I can help you. And I just see, okay, she's coming in. This is going to be two hours by machines. And I'll take a bite out of each one, one step at a time. The problem I'm running into with this person is they still have a ton of GI um, symptoms. Everything else seems to be okay. The person has a custom care. So with somebody with a history like mast cell, mold, um, Epstein-Barr, ehlers lows, how long can we effectively think the Vegas will stay? Is this, this person should probably treat herself every night for the Vegas? There's they no can, way the Vegas, when it's dealing with all those things, is going to stay turned on,
0: right? No. Right. So the Vegas, Erler's Danlos usually lasts a week. So that's one hour sitting in a chair. And actually, the first two or three weeks, it's twice a week just to make sure. Yeah. And then treat the Vegas. I treat the Vegas and the gut every night. So if she has a converter, that's easier. Yes, yeah, she does. So has a converter when I had and all of this depends on somebody managing the mold. So you can't kill mold with FSM. you have to have somebody that's doing binders, antifungals who's testing for mold so you know what critter you're dealing with. The house has to be remediated because the vagus is turned off by as danlos but also by infection stress and trauma. So, she, she has to treat herself every night, but she also has to be getting rid of the mold. And that is, I had one patient, he wants to be able to go back to eating gluten. He wants to be able to go back to staying in a hotel. No, no, no. Not, not ever. You have antibodies to mold. I can, I have done, I walk into a hotel, done it in Germany. I did it in Arizona at Neil Nathan's meeting. I did it in, um, oh, what's that island? Starts with an M. It's south of Spain in the Mediterranean. Anyway, I walk into the room with, you know, the bellman behind me with the cart with the luggage and I walk in and go, nope, we're not even gonna take the luggage off the cart call downstairs we're changing rooms why there's smell the bathroom no no it's i do we're moving and so when we went to cleveland we arrived at 11:30 at night room on the 12th floor you smell mold when you get off the elevator got to my room didn't take the luggage off the cart went back downstairs 12th floor 14th floor 17th floor I ended up on the 18th floor in the fourth room at 3 30 in the morning before I found a room without mold in it wow you don't ever get to do it and it's not that the mold in my system is not gone it's that my immune system can't detoxify mold it's sensitized and it can't it's just
1: and when did you find that out about yourself
0: Ah, well, first was, what I said was, I haven't been healthy since 1998, basically, when I did the remodel in the clinic. I didn't know it was mold, but I knew there was something in the clinic after the remodel that was making me sick. So that got better. Then I got black mold, moved to a mold-free house, but then had a leak in the shower upstairs, and there was black mold in the ceiling downstairs. And so I had two mold exposures in the house. And what I knew was I stopped digesting food and we did pancreatic enzyme testing. I did not make lipase and I did not make amylase. I didn't have pancreatic cancer. So the, the pancreas just didn't work. So I'm having lunch with Neil Nathan in, at the symposium in 15? We're 17. And I'm taking my enzymes. And he said, what's up? And I said, oh, my pancreas doesn't make enzymes. He went, you need to come see me. I said, really? Yeah. You need to come see me. It's like, okay, fine. So he made me come see him because he knew otherwise I wouldn't do what he said. So I went to Santa Rosa and put, he says, so I want you to put your finger down the back of your throat. And I went, well, you better move that wastebasket over here. Cause I'm going to, you know, lose lunch. And he said, okay. So we moved the wastebasket and I put my finger down the back of my throat. I had absolutely no gag reflex, none gone. And he put his little flashlight there and he said, say, ah, uh, ah, uh. palate didn't raise at all. My vagus nerve was completely gone. My immune system was out of control. I, I was in primary pancreatic failure because the vagus nerve is why your pancreas makes enzymes. My blood sugar was rising because the vagus nerve is what keeps your liver from making sugar. And my digestion was, I think sketchy is the word. And, that's, and then we did urine mold testing. That's where I found out about real-time louse. And there it was. So we spent six months, and I was getting better. And then I started getting worse again. And he said, you've got mold in the house. I do not. Yeah, you do. So that was October. Finally, in January, this is why I know not to argue with Neil Nathan, because it's really hard to win an argument with Neil Nathan. So January comes, and George and I went to every water outlet in the house, every place there was water. And in the laundry room, in the hot water inlet, there was one little drop at the top of the inlet. I went, hmm. So that was Saturday. Monday, I called the plumber. Tuesday, the plumber came out, and he was going to change the valves. And I said, while you've got the washer pulled out, let's just pull the wainscoting off the wall. So wainscoting is just this wooden thing. Pulled it off and the drywall and insulation were completely black. The water, the thing had been leaking for probably one drop at a time, never any water on the floor, but it went all the way down the drywall through into the garage, underneath the floor and down to the joists into the little half, that's a good face, into the half bath, and um, yeah, that's, and, and that's where I found out that when you have mold, especially stachybotrys, which is the black one, it doesn't make spores, so you could have tested the air and that would have been fine because stachybotrys doesn't make spores, and I don't do anxiety or depression and pretty, right? Yeah. My body was anxious and depressed simultaneously. I was fine. Right. But my body was anxious and depressed.
1: Interesting.
0: And that was $14,000, $15,000 out of the savings account and got that remediated. And But there was still something left. So a year, year and a half later, I'd go on a trip. I'd feel good. I'd come home and after three days, I'd get just tired, just fatigued. That's not right. So then I decided, well, got to be in the kitchen. So we remodeled the kitchen. And we took, when they took, the cupboards when we cleaned out the cupboards the paralysis that I had on the left side came back that night and George and Adam had to sort of carry me up the stairs then they came and demoed everything took it down to the studs and there was two by four at the plate that was gray and the water had wicked up one two by four and there was another two by four there and there had been a dish a leak under the dishwasher it was black wow and the contractor said about the two by four oh that's discolored and i said no that's why we're doing the remodel so they ripped out every board and replaced it ripped out the i mean Mold is a thing. And it doesn't affect everybody the same way. My son and I were sick. George didn't have any trouble with it at all. Right. So it's, and the vagus is turned down. Obviously, it doesn't go off. The vagus is turned down by infection, stress, and trauma. So while I had the mold infection, my resting heart rate was 87 now my resting heart rate is 59, 60, where it belongs. Wow. The vagus nerve is what keeps your pulse down.
1: While we're on the vagus, one of the other questions I or comments, I scroll around on the practitioner page for material once in a while. And I couldn't, I went back to um, yell at the person. I couldn't find the post. Maybe it was taken down, but um, it's, I want to clarify, nowhere in our educational information do we ever run 40 and 109. No. And they were saying it was in um, one of our courses. And um, somebody had clarified it wasn't us. It was um, a different group that um, talks about it. And I've never
0: understood the logic behind it.
1: I was just going to say, could you maybe put your two cents on why anybody would want to run 40 and 109? 40 is obviously inflammation or decrease activity of, I don't know why you'd want to decrease the activity of the Vegas. No educational reason to do that. I don't get it.
0: And it's like, and what scares me is it's part of her standard Vegas protocol on that unit. And it's like, Okay then. Good
1: luck yeah. with that. I'm not sure if our if our Facebook group moderator took it down or if they deleted it. Cause I, I went to was the question, why why would you ever want to do that? I don't understand. But yeah. I'm open to that. Yeah. Um, no, that poor little Vegas needs all the support and help it can get, poor little guy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I guess if your pulse is 37. You'd want to cut down the vagus and jack up the sympathetics. Right. But that doesn't happen too often.
1: Right. I was just about to ask, when when would you ever really clinically see that? I don't know. I've never seen it. Okay. That's interesting. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, Let's go to a question before I continue. Um, You can read it if you want.
0: Well, it's like, this is that. Um, Okay. Application of
1: 56 to the capillaries. Yes.
0: Detail of how we speak about ACE2 is not a receptor. Well, okay, yes, and. Um, Regulatory enzyme, well, sort of. Cell surface enzyme protein, which makes that if it's a protein, it's a receptor. Also sometimes released into the blood. Well, because it's in the blood vessels Reduce angiotensin levels locally to relax the vessel. Yep, allow more flow, The right? The virus enters through the H2 receptor. And then, yeah, if, if it's a protein, it's a receptor. Dad, we'll have that conversation. That's my understanding of it. But it enters the, um, oh, Kevin found it. Um, it enters the capillaries of the blood supply and then it replicates inside the blood vessels and the blood clots happen when it comes boiling out and causes turbulence. So- She's asking about if you're running multiple machines and the second machine is running 40. Oh, okay. If, if you're running mu- mul- multiple machines, should we pause any other protocol that's running 40 at the same time if the leads are on the same towel? What if the leads are on a different towel? Uh, not to run 40 and 109 40 and something else isn't mixing with 109 on the towel and messing with i've never had that's really a good question because i ran 40 and 89 and 81 and 109 and 56 and 109 and the vegas still did its thing
1: i don't think that was the one that i saw but um yeah. okay
0: okay got it yay tom okay cool um so that's that's where this patient had the thalamic stroke and the 81 and 10 the spasticity or the increased tone when I when you look at that page in netter uh page 65 I think anyway you look at that page in netter that shows the blood supply to the spinal cord there are tiny little capillaries all the way down and up the spinal cord 56, all it takes is a virus ending, one of those little capillaries come boiling out and you have a little blood clot and that creates a long track problem. So she acts ataxic. I mean, her she bounces off the walls when she walks, but I think that's vestibular. And the 81 and 10 to reduce the tone, that worked just like it would if, if the loss of descending inhibition was caused by a disc. She didn't have disc injuries. It had to be vascular because it came on after COVID. It was really interesting and not much lung stuff. Right. It was all neurological.
1: That's very interesting.
0: Oh, and her whole face was tight. So the, the, some of the pain and the tone Came from 40 and 89, came from the thalamic and hippocampus strokes,
1: TIAs, mini strokes. Interesting. Very interesting. I want to talk a little bit about that patient's TMJ stuff because that was a question that we had, but I want to go back to this question because it was actually submitted last week. We ran out of time. Okay. Um, it was sent um, to my our FSM Sports Instagram page, and it's a great question, so I'll read it to you here. Um, Hi, I've been looking at the advanced summary sheet and found multiple frequencies for calcium. When viewing the advanced video with Carol, she discussed using all the calcium frequencies in a slide discussing Alzheimer's. I was wondering if you had any more information on what exactly do the calcium frequencies do I believe 91 and 217 on A have been discussed a lot more, but what about 359 and 606 on channel A? And then there is also 372 on A and 103 on B for calcium in the blood. Where did those frequencies come from? Any contraindications? For example, will there be dire results if we run 359 and 606 on A with 59 and 39 on B? Or will there be a normalization of calcium versus removal? The theory, it's a bit, there's a lot.
0: Yeah, no, it's there are some actually some guidelines about that. So um, we think of the frequencies as changing cell signaling. There, it is unreasonable to expect a frequency as low as 606 to change calcium balance in the bone. So dire results, no. But why would you want to do that?
1: Right.
0: It's like, why would would you do that? Yeah. I've done 217 and 91 in the periosteum because you think of inflammation leads to chronic inflammation, leads to calcium. And it's like getting ground glass in the periosteum. So I've done that before and that changes pain. The place we don't use calcium, removing calcium is the heart. (laughs) So there's the calcium score in the heart where inflammation leads to chronic inflammation, leads to calcium influx in, and you get a calcium score in the blood vessels in the heart, not in the heart itself, but in the blood vessels in the heart. So making myself my own lab rat, I ran the frequency for removing calcium from the blood vessels and removing calcium from the heart. And in seconds, I didn't feel good, like seriously didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. So I stopped and thought about it. So calcium channels depend in in the heart especially, make the heart beat. They depend, calcium channels, make blood vessels function properly and the heart function properly. So yeah, there actually is a place in the advance where it says, don't run calcium in the heart and think twice about running it in the blood supply. Because, so this lady had, she had an 80% blockage of her carotids. And then the next Doppler was a zero blockage in the carotids and then she had 80 percent in one of them again uh the right one and it felt really stiff so i ran scarring in the vegas and because it was 6 30 and because she's had two hours of microcurrent and because the carotid is really close to So I just left it alone. I said, it feels fibrosed, but let's just see what happens if we treat virus in the artery. So I treated viruses in the capillaries. So we ran 56 in the artery because the carotid is, you know, a big artery, not a capillary. And it got softer. I said, let's just see what happens, what the artery does on its own if we don't mess with it. Because If the fibrosis is the only thing that's holding the artery wall together and we take the fibrosis out, that could be like not a good thing. So that's my thought process about it. So you wouldn't run, remove calcium from, I use it, I can, I have never done it, but I could see using it in dementia patients. So because calcium in Alzheimer's patients, because calcium flowing, there's good studies showing that calcium in flows into um, brain cells and contributes to cell death, apoptosis. So it's inflammation leads to, um, chronic inflammation leads to calcium influx. And that leads to plaque and necrosis, and cell death. So that whole first section in the advance that's now 90 slides long, um, which is why the advance is going to three days next year. And we aren't going to have two tracks. I promise you will never have to go to two separate rooms because everybody seems to need to know everything.
1: Yeah, I think gone are the days where there were just physical medicine people and functional medicine or a visceral track, I mean, you have, this is your fault because, um, we all treat everything now. I know you're welcome. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. You treat what walks in,
1: treat what walks in. Right. Yeah.
0: And that was the other thing this patient said was everybody, all the physicians she saw were so compartmentalized that nobody, but this one neurologist at OHSU could look at the big picture and how everything was related. Because FSM is a tool that lets us treat, or at least creates the opportunity to approach the whole system more or less at one time, right. then we have to think upstream and downstream.
1: Right. And I think a lot of practitioners get overwhelmed because of that again, it's that, you know, you're, you're welcome. And I'm, and I'm sorry. And I, I don't think that you have to feel that you're under the gun for that first time you see the patient that has the, the crazy long list. I love what Kevin just said. You just, you just, you treat what you, you treat what you can, when you can bit by bit, bite by bite. And I think sometimes even you will miss something, right? there something just you didn't hear it the first time the right way. Or, I mean, people like myself who have been in it a little bit stuff that we're so used to just letting go all of a sudden we're like, Whoa, wait, wait, what did you say? What happened to you? Like, and people think because they're seeing a physical medicine practitioner, they don't need to disclose all the other things in the history.
0: So sometimes the, the next layer doesn't show up until the, the most bothersome thing is gone. So you yes. take thalamic pain and 81 and 10, get, get her tone, the tone, getting her muscle tone down to normal. Those two things were the first, getting her right. vagus nerve to work. It's like doing having three machines to do that um, was... That's the beginning. And she's actually not going to get completely better until she sees John Ruski. That's just how that's gonna go. And I sent her to a GP that's not an idiot, um, not the uh, that thinks more comprehensively. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry <laughs> to all the GPs out there that are thoughtful. But, so.
1: When did you start using multiple machines as much as you do? When I had them. Right.
0: Um, 25 years ago, I had one blue box Yeah, and then I had two blue boxes
1: and then I had
0: three blue boxes.
1: It just seems like we teach and talk about using multiple machines more in the last, I'd say five, six years than we did, you know, like 10 years ago. I don't know.
0: Well, and I kept, I keep my programming laptop um, right outside the treatment room. So twice yesterday I took the custom care and went and reprogrammed it and brought it back and then took the other custom care and reprogrammed it with something else and brought it back. So I put five or six things on the clinic units. So I have two, I had two precision cares. Then I stole, stole two more from another room. And then I have two custom cares. So I had six machines on her and the other day, I actually had seven machines. I finally matched Ben Cotholi, I had seven machines on one patient. Oh. But it was that was unusual. And it's only because even if you just have two, then you can do 40 and 89 to get rid of the thalamic pain. That's easy, but she wouldn't have been out of pain because part of her pain was the fact that the tone in her muscles was so tight the muscles hurt from just being, needing descending inhibition. So loss of spasticity. So just those two and then, but nothing's going to get better till her vagus gets treated. So that was three. And then there was the fourth one, just ran 56 and 109 and 56 in the capillaries, treated 56 the virus in the capillaries for an hour And then switch to the vagus and then switch to the forebrain and switch to the midbrain and, and the heart. And so it's, so I guess you use them because you have them.
1: For sure. And it, it makes treating a patient like that doable in appropriate timeframe and not eight hours. Right. When, Mm -hmm. how would you ever be able to, to treat somebody with that type of history? so effectively and efficiently
0: yeah and it's that way i get a lot done i could i could have treated her she was the last patient of the day so i didn't have anybody after her and she was so desperate and so so brave i mean how does somebody not i mean how that's the the things i can't teach you how how do you respond in the face of the courage not to kill herself how do you, how, how how do I send her home with her pain at a six? Well, it came down from an eight to a six. Yay! No, I just
1: Right, I know. And isn't that funny how how some people would celebrate that the pain went down from an eight to a six, and then for some patients and some practitioners in certain cases, you're like, no, that's not acceptable. We have to get this down. No um let's hit let's let's get to another question before we continue a bit more hi Hi there um where should we start we'll go to paula's question first actually do we have anything written up on the mechanism of action of 81 and 10. we talk about it um i've had miraculous results um for this with muscle tension and pain with congenital myotonia and wish to submit an application to our national disability insurance scheme in Australia to fund the purchase of a custom care for a client. This needs evidence.
0: I talked to Jay Shaw about the model and the only thing that we could be increasing is GABA. So GABA is the, the relaxing neurotransmitter. So the mechanism of action is not essential. That's not the the first data that you get. Documenting by measuring tone with um, one of those gadgets, there's some sort of meter that measures muscle tone. It's got a broad, flat, round thing. I can't remember. It's not an algometer because it's not small. It's a broad, flat, and it measures muscle resistance. So the first step, and I haven't taken it, so my bad, but even if I did, I wouldn't have time to write it up. Um, You measure tone, you run 81 and 10, you measure tone in five or six places and then do that even on one patient, especially if it's something, whoops, that went away. Especially if it's something like, uh, congenital myotonia, where or um, spastic diplegia and cerebral palsy that's well documented. You measure the tone, you treat it with 81 and 10, you measure the tone, measure range of motion. So, in spastic diplegia, they can't straighten their leg because their hamstrings and gastrox are so tight. And so, you measure the range of motion, you measure the tone, you treat them with 81 and 10, you measure that. And then, when it wears off, two weeks later, they come back in, you do it again, you treat again. That's a single case report. Then you can do a collected case report if you happen to have two of such patients. And that is, yeah, so you have photos. What they need are numbers and, because you have to be able to do statistics. So, photos are a great um, anecdote. In order to do statistics, you have to have numbers. So two patients. Yes. So wait till it wears off, then measure the range of motion. We've got a statistician. I'm happy to pay. We've actually got two statisticians. A dynamometer measures measures muscle strength. Oh, by the way, that was the other. Wow. This week, patient with a disc bulge in her neck, first treatment, she's right-handed, her right, hand grip strength was 55 her left hand was 20 oops the left hand is the one with the nerve pain then at the end of that treatment the left hand was 30 then she came back the next week and it was 55 and 40 and at the end of the third treatment it was 55 and 55 wow yeah so that's pretty cool but back to paula Measuring tone, and I can't remember the gadget. It's not a dynamometer, Denise, but it's something else. And then um, measuring range of motion with an angle finder, which also has a medical name. And that gives you data that can be compared, and then you can create a statistic out of a number. Um, And that's publishable. And then after that, we need somebody like Terry Phillips to measure GABA and see if 81 and 10 is increasing peripheral GABA, especially in the muscle. I'm not gonna biopsy the muscle, but it should be available, should show up in the peripheral blood, blood supply. So you take a blood spot. I don't know. So the mechanism, 85% of the drugs in the physician's desk reference do not have a known mechanism of action. They do this and that happens. They do this and that happens. We have no idea how or why it happens, but we know it happens. So mechanisms, not so much. Right. Great idea. Do
1: you want to um, take Nancy's question and then we'll continue on a little bit.
0: Um, patient has dystonia pain in the left side of the face, very tight, upper back, mild, and there's Danlos, 124 and 77, 40 and 94, 81 and 10 didn't relax anything. Hmm. Wanted to rule out trigeminal neuralgia. 40 and 396, virus followed by one to no change after treatment. Patient reported the next day her face started to twitch. We didn't expect that, totally perplexed. Uh, PONS could be messing things up. The other thing that's possible If you ran 40 and 396, the question is dystonia, dystonia is like spasticity in a particular muscle. So that's 81. So you have to increase descending uh, inhibition. So in the past, in a dystonia patient, I do, have done 81 and 10, 81 in the pons, 81 and 94. So increase the activity of the part of the brain that creates appropriate tone in that muscle. Uh, The other thing that I've run into is if, if trigeminal neuralgia is just in this top part of the jaw, if it's just in the middle branch of the trigeminal nerve, my next question is, do you have any root canals or deep fillings in this part? So you ran 40 in 396 and virus and 40 in the ponds. Yeah. So 40 in the ponds might've started the trouble. So um, 81 in the ponds is more likely to correct dystonia. So it comes back to... Uh, the perverse logic of the nervous system. So loss of function from the pons causes spasticity. So when somebody, the one patient I've seen with a pons stroke, somebody has a pons stroke, they become spastic. Somebody has a sensory motor stroke, they're flaccid, And then they're spastic. The way to create increasing signaling from the sensory motor stroke, or in the one case, the patient that had a pond stroke, we increase secretions in the pons and that relax the spasticity. So quieting the pons further. So if the pons is dysfunctional for whatever reason and you quiet the pons It's a possibility that you made it worse, which would have gone from just increased tone, which is dystonia, to twitching. Um, And the thing is that it's, I can understand you being totally perplexed because there are places where it doesn't make any sense until you can get your head around the concept of quieting the activity of the cord versus increasing descending inhibition in the cord, and you don't learn that until you make a mistake. So now you're aware. So I made a guy in a coma cry by running increased secretions in the midbrain. So I don't do that anymore. I've gotten rid of phantom limb pain. Is like easy, and thalamic pain from a stroke is easy, not permanent, but easy. It's just 40 and 89. Tell the midbrain and the thalamus to just chill out, right? So um, the other thing you can tell the patient is it's not gonna be permanent, can't be. All we're doing is changing signaling. You can quiet the activity of the pons. It shouldn't, ha- shouldn't last for any more than 24 to 48 hours. Because all we 're doing is changing signaling right. so it'll be fine.
1: The next question kind of segues um, from anonymous. Can you explain your comment that treating nerve pain is easy? <laughs> yes, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, what exactly is done to make it easy thinking post surgical nerve pain that's probably <laughs> it's probably the easiest one, but it, weird.
0: it does. It sounds weird. I
1: know. I know. Right. Like when you, because it is the hardest thing that you, you could probably treat before this. Right. Very okay. frustrating to treat nerve pain.
0: Every, every, from the first time that I ever treated nerve pain, it just made a certain amount of sense that nerve pain was caused by inflammation on in the nerve. Correct. So we have a frequency for inflammation. We have a frequency for the nerve. And as long as the nerve has not been cut, then it's how do you get rid of nerve pain? You reduce inflammation in the tissue that is the nerve. So it's 40 and 396. If the nerve is cut, you have phantom limb pain. So when the brain has lost input from a nerve, so they do an amputation, they cut the nerve or In one patient's case, they cut a cutaneous She It was the one that had this deep, deep, deep pain inside after um, a lumpectomy and radiation. And they took out 14 nodes, 12 of which were positive. And there's this deep pain. And I'm looking at it and I did 40 and 396 and it didn't change. Then I, and I treated scarring in the nerve and that changed a little, a little. And then I looked at it and went, what if they cut the nerve? What if she basically has phantom limb pain in her armpit? Phantom limb pain, in the cutaneous branch of the brachial, whatever nerve that was. So I ran 40 and 89. It's phantom limb pain. And this deep, deep pain went away and stayed away. I didn't expect it to last, but it did. So treating nerve pain is easy only because it never doesn't work. Right. As long as the nerve has not been cut, you run. And the other piece of treating nerve pain is the contacts have to go from where the nerve starts to where the nerve ends. I had one associate one time uh, training in my office and she, it, I I can't ascribe why she did this, but in spite of being told you have to go from where the nerve starts to where the nerve ends, she put the patient in a rocking chair, run it neck to feet, and run 40 and 396 when the problem is in the arm. That's a good face. So it's if you you have to go, the contacts have to go from where the nerve starts to where the nerve ends. So it goes, if it's a thoracic nerve root, go from the spine to the front. If it's and if it's L if it's L5 and you put the contact at the low back and it stops at the knee, it doesn't work. If it's L5 and you put the contact at the low back and it stops at the ankle, the toes still hurt.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You, you have to put the contact at the low back and wrap it around the toes at the end of the nerve root. Right. And it's a combination of the current, I swear. This is why once I retire from the clinic, I am going to be the oldest PhD student in neuroscience at the University of Washington because I want a squid axon. I want to look at voltage-gated ion channels and a squid axon and find out what we're doing. How, how are we doing this? The current has to be polarized. Alternating will work, but it's slower. There's only two frequencies at work, 40 on channel A and 396 on channel B,
1: Yeah.
0: unless it's cut, and then it's 40 and 89, but you can't find that in a squid axon. You just have to use the nerve, and it's easy because it's never been hard.
1: Well, and I think, you know, when, when we're starting off in our FSM journey, when we're these little fledglings in the nest, and we're just trying to, like, make little dents in cases, 40 and 396, I think universally has been the frequency that most of the newbies were like, "Oh, well, the pain." We tell people run that right away because it drops the pain down. Like I, in the sports court, like where do I start? Get them out of pain first. Forty-three ninety-six, and you talked a little bit about thirteen and three ninety-six. I find that they kind of work hand in hand. I always start with forty and three ninety-six, and if it's not blowing my hair back, maybe that nerve is scarred. Try thirteen, or sometimes I just I think that it's scarred, so I'll start with thirteen. And you just said it; um, it'll take the pain down a little, but not not enough. And I think that is. We talked. I think it was ne- podcast number one. Like, if you could pick five frequencies, what would they be? I think that's universal. Forty three ninety six has to be on your top five.
0: And yeah. the other thing that I did with this Vegas lady yesterday, well, this COVID, yes, lady. She's, she got all out of pain. She said, except right here. And she pointed right behind her ear. Huh. And they went.
1: Scarring in the vagus?
0: Yeah. Oh, you get chocolate right there. And so I said, that's the jugular foramen. Yeah. And I ran scarring in the vagus. And that pain went away. But then it went down to here. And the vagus follows the carotids into the vocal cords. So I treated scarring in the vagus all the way down here. There you go.
1: That is I've had two patients now that have come to see me, um, from different parts of California who were treated by FSM practitioners for migraines and headaches. And they both pointed to pain right through here and yeah. it's scarring in the Vegas. And after the first lady left, she was, she's like, I just pulled over to let you know that changed my life. I'm like, well, just wait.
0: <laughs> what created the scarring in the Vegas? What's that? What created the scarring in the Vegas?
1: Um, it was a car accident.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah. Um, and then she got an infection in the hospital after the car accident. Ooh, infection, stress, and trauma all in one bundle. <laughs> <Ooh. sighs> Multitasking. But I had treated the Vegas, but it was scarring in the Vegas that created the um, the most change. Yeah, yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And then the, the SCM and the scalings just turned to snot. <laughs> yes, exactly, smush. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> smush the snot. Um, somebody had written, I love how Kim is ending with certain quotes. So I, I'm gonna stay on this one. I found we're talking, it's so funny how it all overlaps and it all works out. And you've probably heard this one 1,000 times, but it really ties in for today. Um, Be proud of your scars. The scar is a reminder that you were stronger than whatever tried to hurt you. Amen. Until we dissolve them. (laughs) But but, But to keep the strength. Exactly.
0: every, Every injury, every recovery carries with it a gift. Totally. Then when you learn the lesson, you get to get rid of the connection, condition, if you're lucky, but you get to keep the wisdom. You end up with more compassion for yourself. And the the lady I treated that had the, the disc and the, the increase in grip strength. And I said, There's there's a word you can now. She is used to lifting cords of wood. And she was in Alaska and she was doing all this physical stuff, and that's how she re-injured herself. I said, There is there is a phrase you get to use. Are you ready? Yep. It's not that I can't do it, it is, I'm not allowed. I'm not allowed.
1: Hmm.
0: For three months, I'm not allowed. 10 pounds, elbows at your side, I'm not allowed. Then after that, you can do whatever you want. Very good. Have time to heal and keep the wisdom.
1: Right? Oh, I I love this. This was like, I, I, I took like a selfish one today. I learned so much. Thank you. I love our Wednesdays. I love I'm going to miss you next week.
0: I am. I'm going to be in Florida. I'm You're going to have, have so much fun. fun. You're going to have somebody fun on?
1: I'm going to have somebody fun on and I'm going to talk about some fun stuff. It'll be a surprise. You'll be proud. I'll listen. It'll be fun. All right. Hey. Have a great rest of your week. I will. You too. And we won't see you next Wednesday, but we'll see you the Wednesday after that. I'll see you after that. All
0: right. Bye. Please leave an honest review wherever you subscribe to this podcast. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates,
1: subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations.